you were listening to the Red Hill Church Sermon Podcast. Red Hill Church is a gospel-centered, missional church in the Edwardsville Glen Carbon community of the St. Louis Metro East. We exist to glorify God and make disciples by sharing the gospel and sharing our lives. Good morning. It's good to see you all. I will be today's scripture reader. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Dominic. Uh, we will be in Jonah 3 this morning. All of Jonah 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. When word, when word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his holy robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Right on. Thanks, Dom. Love that dude. If you guys don't know Dom, take a minute and uh, get to know him. It's, uh, it's great to see a few of our uh, SIUE students returning and a few new students. Yeah, we're excited about that. I am, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Raiden and I'm the, I'm the pastor here. And uh, really uh, what's great about our church, I, when we were planting church, there was a church in Nashville, it was this mega church, this pastor of the mega church, his name was Pete. And um, he resigned his church. I remember the, the video of his resignation. He resigned his church and he, uh, he was like, yeah, I am, uh... when we started this church, we began and we said, this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. And he said, that's true for everybody in the church except for me. And, and then he quit. He's like, I'm done, I can't do it anymore. And so we, when we planted Red Hill, we wanted to be a place where everybody was okay to not be okay. And like, just full disclosure, I'm just not doing great today. <laughs> like, um, just having a hard day. And, uh, nothing bad happened and nothing bad has happened. Something wonderful is happening. But like, at least when Caleb left, he had the decency to do it midweek. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> come on. Like, we're taking our son Nathan to the U of I today. And uh, so it's gonna be an interesting sermon. Just want you to know. I'm a member of this church who serves as a pastor. I'm not a pastor of the church who became a member. I became a member before there was anybody to pastor. And I just want to be a member of the body, just a part of it. Um, thanks, man. I, I went to counseling this week and my counselor was like, well, what would you say to a friend who is feeling like the feelings that you're feeling? And I was like, well, I tell him, 
He's got to go away into like a remote area and just like let it all out. Just let it, just grieve and yell and cry and cuss and whatever you got to do. Just let it all out. And, uh, and my counselor was, uh, was Dan Free in Maryville. He's just an incredible counselor. He was like, he's like, he's like, I love that you're inviting God into the pain. He's like, but what about inviting community into the pain? Because aren't we commanded to weep with those who weep? And how can anybody do that with you if you don't weep with them? And, uh, and I was like, well, God, I really don't want to do that. You know, like, it's like the scariest thing ever. And uh, I, I don't know how well you know me, but uh, my tendency is when there's a thing that I'm afraid of or a thing that feels daunting or a thing that I really don't want to do is to just jump straight off the diving board into the deep end of the pool. So uh, he was like, I know you have to be a little bit careful as a pastor about who you let into that kind of a moment. And I just decided I just am not gonna be that kind of a pastor. And um, there are plenty of places where you can find pastors that will uh, pretend like everything's great all the time. And uh, if you're looking for that, just save us both some time because it's just not, you're not gonna find it here. Uh, I'm reading through the book of Jonah and a few things, you know, stand out to me. Um, the first is uh, maybe Jonah just didn't have any friends at all. You know what I'm saying? He ha we don't see a single instance of a friend for Jonah. He's about to do a terrible, dumb thing. The Lord calls him to do a thing. And I don't know if he was so high in the pinnacle of like everyone's perception of him that no one could approach him or talk to him or anything like that. Yeah, but it just struck me. I don't think he had any friends at all. Uh, I was wondering if, if you ever had to do something you really didn't want to do. Jonah did not want to preach to Nineveh. He did not want to share the hope of God with Nineveh. He did not want to share the loving kindness of God with Nineveh. He didn't want to share the mercy of God with Nineveh. He wanted to experience it himself, certainly. He didn't want them to have it. And Nineveh was awful. It was a terrible, terrible place. Obedience always requires faith and courage. Always. Sometimes in different measures, sometimes obedience is simple and easy and straightforward, but it still takes courage and it still takes faith to do it. And sometimes it requires the death of everything that you are and that you love in order to believe that God is telling the truth, that God loves you. And then it's still, even when you have that belief, it still takes courage. And I gotta tell you, as a pastor and a preacher, I really hate Jonah chapter three. I mean, I hate it. Because it's like, you, you're like, man, we wanna, we wanna plant this church in this community and we wanna see this community transformed by the love of Jesus. We came here and it's, it's beautiful. The external of Edwardsville and Glen Carbon is one of the most beautiful places you will ever see. And I remember sitting with you, TJ, and TJ telling me, uh, it is until you scratch just below the surface. And just below the surface of that beauty is like once you break the veneer of beauty, you see insecurity and hopelessness and vanity and meaninglessness, people living without a purpose, people living without any kind of understanding of unconditional love and people who are afraid. And I was like, man, I think that the gospel can speak powerfully to a community like that. 
I think a community like that is primed for the message of the gospel. And if you can infuse the gospel into the everyday life of those people, what they will discover is all the things that they thought were good have exponentially greater potential for good. And all the things that they were afraid of have been robbed of all of their power and they have no reason to fear. And we get to Jonah chapter three and we have a guy who doesn't wanna go, a guy who doesn't wanna preach, a guy who doesn't wanna see the city converted, a guy who not only doesn't care about the people, but actually cares deeply about them in the wrong direction. He shows up and in Hebrew, it's five words. Five words in Hebrew is his sermon as recorded in Jonah 3. And a citywide revival breaks out. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, man. <laughs> like we're over here breaking our backs, trying to see people get saved and see them rescued by the hope of the gospel and see them captured by the love of Jesus. And Jonah's like, God's gonna kill everybody here. And they're all like, whoa, you got me with that one, man. I wasn't looking for it, but here it came. It just kills me. And uh, I don't want the book to be called Jonah because I decided Jonah's not the main character and I'm not the main character and you're not the main character. And this is part of the problem for me is I still think I'm the main character. I still think it matters how good I am at preaching. I still think it matters how good our church is at integrating new people and assimilating them. I still think it matters how perfect our worship gatherings are. I still think it matters how quickly we can follow up with every person who walks through our doors. I still think it matters how effective our outreach strategies are. I still think it matters that all of the things that make us us are what it's really all about when the truth is is that Jesus is the main character. God is the main character. And over and over in scripture, it says, he does whatever he wants and it makes him happy. It's good to be king of the universe. And it's good for us that he's the king of the universe. So in Jonah chapter three, presumably covered in fish guts because there's no indoor plumbing where he can get a really good hot shower. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing like a wonderful hot shower with great water pressure. Like if I ever buy another house, it might just be based on that. Like just turn the shower on and just go like, this ain't it. It's a 10,000 square foot house on six acres for $50. Don't care. This is not the one. Probably skin all bleached and gross because I gotta believe the bile in a fish's stomach is powerful. I mean, they eat... I don't know what they eat, other fish. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, a second time. There's a Scottish preacher named George Morrison and he said this and I think everybody should write it down. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. That's how we win, that's how we win. The Christian life is not a marathon. It's not one race that starts and you just run and run and run and run and run on the same course. The course changes. The starting line looks different. 
It's a series of new beginnings. A series of new beginnings. If you ignore or run away from God's word, you get God's storm, you get God's sea, you get God's appointed fish, and you get God-ordained consequences. Now, the word of the Lord came the first time and Jonah ran. And so he got the boat, he got the sea, he got the storm, he got the fish, he got covered in the fish guts. If the word of the Lord comes to you a second time, listen to the word of the Lord. Paul said to the church in Corinth, if you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts as they did in the desert. Do you know the lesson of the desert? The lesson of the desert is this, don't die in the desert. Do whatever you have to do to get out of the desert. Have faith, take a risk, get some guts, try something, believe what God says and get out of the desert. Otherwise, you die in the desert. I gotta tell you the truth. I think if Jonah had been like, I've changed my mind again and I'm going back to Tarshish, that God would have been like, one more time again, here we go. Let's make it six days in the belly this time. Because I know the plans I have for you, the Lord says to Jonah, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. And I know for sure that that thing I started in you, I'm gonna finish in you. So the word of the Lord comes in verse two, it says, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up, went to Nineveh, according to the Lord's command and Nineveh was an extremely great city. Get up and go, get up and go. God is not done with you. Well, yeah, I've done this and I've done this and I've wandered away from him and my heart's grown cold and my faith isn't so good anymore and I've said terrible things and I've been a terrible person and so on and so on and so on and so on and so on. And the simple truth is that God is not done with you. And the best evidence of that is you're still sucking wind on this planet. He's not done with you. I just, sometimes all we need to be told is just the, the real truth. You know what I'm saying? And there's, jo I mean, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and the message is get up. I'm just picturing Jonah puked out up on the beach, laying for an undetermined amount of time in the mess and just having a party that is a pity of one, like just the pity party table for one. And he's there and God just comes to him and is not like, hey buddy, you doing okay? You hanging in there? No, he comes to him and he's like, you're in the mess that you made. Get up, get out of the mess, get up and go and do what I told you to do at first. You don't need a fresh word. You don't need comforting. The fastest way to stop smelling like fish guts is to get out of the fish guts. Get up, and go do what I told you to do. So Jonah got up and went and did what God told him to do. We shouldn't pretend like we're confused when we know. We shouldn't pretend like we need God's comfort when God has said, you just need to be obedient. It's like I, you know, my foot got hurt. There's always extenuating circumstances, you know? Like if you come into worship 30 minutes late and leave worship 
as soon as the last song rings out and you don't participate in the gospel community and you don't serve in any way and you don't try to engage and make any meaningful investments, then you are not going to be connected to any local church ever. And that is partly the local church's problem and partly your problem, but the truth still exists. So like right now, I have a hurt foot, so I'm not running and I'm not exercising and consequently I'm gaining 10 pounds, right? And I, I, I should say I've gained 10 pounds because I've met my goal and I didn't even know I had it. <laughs> like mission accomplished, check. And, and I can say, well, yeah, but my foot is hurt. That's true, but that doesn't mean you have to eat stuffed crust pizza twice a day. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that you can do. Well, all I, you know, I'm like Kevin Malone. He's like, I just want to sit on the beach and eat hot dogs. It's all I've ever wanted. You know, like I just want to sit there and eat hot dogs and have people tell me that I'm pretty. That's all I've ever wanted. Make me feel good about the mess that I'm in without requiring anything of me. And the message from the, the Lord is not, hey man, I know you've had like a really rough day. The thing is like the Ninevites are still over there. And so like, if you could, when you, when you feel better, like after you clean up a little bit, maybe you can go and do. He just says, get up, just get up, man. Get up and go do what I told you to do. And so Jonah gets up and he goes and does what God told him to do. I, we have a really low view of God's faithful love to us. Just such a low view. We're so quick to disqualify ourselves from his love. And part of that is experiential because we've all felt unloved. Everyone in this room has felt unloved by someone that they thought was supposed to love them. And then what happens to us is we take that pattern that is not the ultimate reality of the universe because the ultimate reality of the universe is for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son and that if you will believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. That God didn't send him into the world to condemn you, but that through him you might be saved. That's John 3, 16 and 17. The ultimate reality of the universe is that you are loved and there's nothing that you can ever do that will change God's mind about it. You are loved deeply, surely, securely, eternally. You are loved. And yet we go, yeah, but I've done this and so God doesn't love me anymore. We have such a low view. Jonah got up and went. More often than not, these are just the basic expectations that God has for us. Yeah, but I have a hurt foot. Yeah, but I have this. I have this brokenness in my past. I have this sin in my present. I have this personality that I've been born with. I have these anxieties and insecurities. More often than not, just the truth is more often than not, the Christian life is simple. It's not complicated. That doesn't mean that it's easy, but it is not complicated. Jesus said, if you wanna enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like a child. If you sit down with a child and you create a fictional character and you tell them the fictional character has certain powers and authorities, they will believe you. 
I read enough comic books that I once believed that a cape would give me the power of flight. Faith like a child. Faith like a child to believe what's true and then to actually act like it. Because it's not just enough to offer intellectual assent to the truth that we're called to get up and go, that we're called to love and to forgive, that we're called to offer ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. God says Nineveh was an extremely great city. So a few facts about Nineveh. First of all, Nineveh was founded by Noah's great grandson, whose name, not kidding, was Nimrod. Tough. Not a great start. This is the same guy who founded Babel, where a tower was once built. This is the guy who, instead of leading people to make much of the name of God, said, let's create a place where we can make a name for ourselves. Which, by the way, is a temptation not just of every pastor and every church and every follower of Jesus, but of every person who's walking the planet to make much of their own name. The circumference of the city and the suburbs was 60 miles. And I was like, well, how can I give a frame of reference? Do we have that slide, Liza? Awesome, I'm calling up a slide. This is a 60 mile circumference circle around the city of St. Louis. It stretches to the west outside of Warrenton, Missouri. To the south, it captures Farmington. To the north, it goes up above Jerseyville and out to the east, you get Pinckneyville and Centralia. That's a 60 mile circumference around the city of St. Louis. Nineveh was 60 miles in circumference. More than 600,000 people in all. One wall that was unearthed, one wall that was unearthed had a circumference of eight miles and had 1,500 towers on that wall. Nineveh was a powerful city. They were known to be absolutely brutal to those whom they conquered. They would impale people on sticks while living. They would then plant the sticks and let the sun do the dirty work. They would execute men, women, and children. They would flay them. They would behead them and stack up the heads outside of the gates of the city. They were indiscriminate in all whom they killed. They were the epitome of evil. And there was a lot of people. And it says in verse four that Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. This is the sum total of what Jonah's ministry is described as in the city of Nineveh. Now, it's safe to assume that he said more and he did more, but this is all that's captured. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. We were talking about this, me and Sarah and Aubrey and Nathan yesterday, and, and uh, my dad was telling me that his church had preached through Jonah recently and that his pastor had said, you know, what would you do if I, if I came in and said, in 40 days, our city is gonna be destroyed? And Aubrey and Sarah simultaneously said, move. <laughs> I was like, that is genius. <laughs> I mean, if the Ninevites had thought of that, that would be a different book. So all of Nineveh just left. Like, it's fine, we'll just build another Nineveh. We'll, we'll call it 
Teneva, you know? That's a spelling joke that some of you are gonna get later. I didn't say it was a good spelling joke, just a spelling joke. You got 40 days. This is the worst sermon in history, the worst heart in a preacher maybe ever. In Hebrew, it's just five words, so eat your heart out, Gettysburg Address, with your 272 words, all that wasted effort and energy. Jonah just walks to the city and is like, judgment is sure and it's coming. God's gonna kill you guys. I mean, you have to, like, you have to let some creative imagination operate inside of you as you read the Bible. Sometimes the Bible is boring because you don't actually think about the scene. Jonah is a known prophet. He's covered most likely still in the smell of fish guts. If you've ever been to a third world country, you know, nothing travels faster than news. Even when there is no uh, electronic mechanism with which to spread that news. There is a very good possibility. It's entirely reasonable to believe that word of this experience had already traveled to Nineveh. There we were in Dustin having vacation like you do when you want to get out of Nineveh. And here comes a giant fish and it pukes all over the beach. Incredible. Nobody had their cameras out. Nobody got it on video. And there was a dude in the puke. He got up and he started walking to Nineveh and we were like, we got to go. Vacation's over. So we came back and here we're telling all of you. And then here comes Jonah. Some theologians uh, that study this think that maybe his skin had been bleached as a result of being in the fish's stomach. Some think he looked like super weird. Made me think of what's the really stupid sci-fi novels that came out recently and they did the HBO movie on them. Help me out. Dune. Yeah, in the Dune books. The prophet looks super weird. You know what I mean? You think about John the Baptist covered in like, like eating locusts and wild honey and wearing camel hair togas. You're like, prophets just look weird. This guy comes in looking weird. Some of you are like, I really like Dune. This is not a sermon about Dune. Get over yourself, all right? It's a weird series. It's not worth your time. Go ahead and at me. But he shows up, he's walking through and he's like, Nineveh's gonna be destroyed. It's gonna be destroyed. It's gonna be destroyed. And verse five says, then the people of Nineveh believed God. And Jonah is like, this is the worst day ever. I knew this, I hate, I hate all of you. This is what, this is what I thought about for the sermon. I was like, I could just come in and be like, I hate all of you and you're all gonna go to hell if you don't trust in Jesus. The Lord's supper is available, I'll be in the back. <laughs> like that's what Jonah did, except even less. God's gonna kill all of you. I'll be in the back if you need to talk about it. <laughs> limited time. You're operating on limited time. What happens? What happens is what I'm praying happens in our church. Supernatural gospel impact. Yeah. Yeah. I heard old preachers say over and over again, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And what do they mean? It really isn't about you. You're not the main character. You don't have to have a perfected message. You don't need to know the answer to every question. You don't need to be the most polished communicator in history. You don't have to have read all the commentaries. You don't have to have perfected theology. Well, what is required of me? Get up and go. 
What has the Lord required of you? Micah said, but to do justly, love mercy and walk humbly. It isn't complicated. We're the ones who complicate it. We're the ones who make it more difficult. This is me with almost everything that I have ever undertaken. And when you have an expert walk alongside of you, you're like, that looks so easy. You guys, I worked on the patio in my backyard. I'm pretty sure I was in purgatory. It was that long. One night I sat, I bought an outdoor like floodlight thing so I could see what I was doing. And I was working on one paver for over half an hour. Tap, 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 tap. Ah, it's not right. Pick it up. Spread the sand again, screed it out. Tap, 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 level, level, tap, 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 tap. And then, and then you can only tappy, tap, tap, tap for a while before you start going Billy Madison on that thing. And you're like, tap, tap, like level out, bang, bang, over half an hour. I finally, I'm like, it's right there. One more hit, boom, and it cracked in half. And I can't tell you how quickly I was filled with the spirit and began speaking in tongues, <laughs> specifically French. And I'm not proud of it, but it's true. And I was like, that's it. And by the way, my parents, whom I love, were sitting in the backyard just watching. And it was like, <laughs> serenity now. Help me, Jesus, please. That thing broke and I was like, I'm done. I am done for the night. That's it. Like, ah, how far can I throw these things? I'm going to bed. That's it. I quit. And then my buddy Brad, who was here last week, who actually does this for a living, he's like, here's what I want you to do. Line up like this. Boom, boom, boom. Line up the, the, the tiles like that. I'm like, okay. So I line them up like he said. He's like, no, I need more than that. Like, just keep lining them up. I'm like, okay. So I line them all up. And I'm not kidding, guys. He walks and he's like, he grabs a tile, drop, like click, drop. Grabs a tile, click, drop. Grabs a tile, click, drop. Grabs a tile, click, drop. And I was like, I was like, hey, um, I mean, Nathan's with me. Nathan's like, I think he did 30 tiles in less time than it took you to do one tile. And I was like, you just hurt my feelings. <laughs> was that? Yeah, that I didn't even actually do. Yeah, thank you, Nathan. Really gonna, gonna miss you next week. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> you gotta laugh about it or you cry about it. And I was talking to Josh and Matt Pace about it. And I was like, you know, you can't put a price tag on expertise. And then I was like, no, actually, that's exactly what you do with expertise. You put a price tag on it. This is like what I do with the Christian life <laughs> so often. Like God's like, hey, get up, just go out and all the stuff you were gonna do, just do that. But just infuse yourself, like be filled with the spirit as you do the stuff you were gonna already do anyway. Just have your heart on a swivel and be ready to engage with the people that I put in your path. And I'm like, okay, so I need to read 10 commentaries, have six hours of prayer, make sure that I've memorized 47 verses, Make sure that I put a smile on my face no matter what's happening. Make sure that I have like checked all the boxes of being a good Christian. Make sure that I study enough apologetics, that my theology is precise and perfect. And then I can be a witness for you. And God's like, bro, I just, can you just love me and love people? Can we just start with that? And if we can start with that, we're gonna work on the other stuff as we go. We're gonna, we're, I'm gonna help you. You're going to figure this out and I'm going to help you. 
supernatural gospel impact. And people are like, well, yeah, but I mean, later Nineveh turned back and they didn't, I don't, was it really, did they really do this? Man, can I just tell, I'm, I like, I don't have it in me to nuance this or to finesse it in any way. I just really don't like spiritual policemen. I was a youth pastor for years and years and years. And we go to youth camp and the worst experience and the worst part about youth camp is coming back from youth camp. And you have teenagers that are so pumped up about their relationship with God and passionately excited about sharing the gospel with their friends. And then you get people who are like, it's not gonna last. It's not real. And I'm like, well, that might be true but I will take a little bit of heat for a short amount of time rather than lukewarm all the time. Yeah. And I don't think it's my job or your job or anybody on the planet's job to try to be the Holy Spirit and parse out whether or not every single piece of fruit is genuine fruit. Maybe we can just celebrate. And those of you who are like, yeah, I still don't think it was real. Well, you're gonna have issue with Jesus who said this in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we wanna see a sign from you. And he answered them, an evil and an adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. I'm just saying, if we don't know, then let's just celebrate. If we're not sure, let's believe with some hope because sometimes that seed that got cast in the shallow ground and the cares of this life choked it out, maybe just needed some people to nurture it and to dig it up just a little bit and to take a little bit of care of it. We were out there in the front earlier, me and Robin and Carrie, and they were looking at maybe some deer had eaten some of the plants that are out there. Sorry, Cody. I know I'm sure you have some kind of method or mechanism to like scare the deer away. I don't know if it's like a deer scarecrow or something, but we were looking at it and Robin had this one plant. She's like, it looks like this one got pulled all the way out of the ground. And I'm like, oh, I guess we just have to, just thinking like, do we just burn it or throw it away? Or... But no, what did she do? She just redug the hole, nestled it back in, and just took a little bit of care of it. I don't know, there's probably something there. God gave the Ninevites a 40-day grace period. They didn't need it. You're in a grace period. Those of you living in active sin, you're in a grace period. And your sin's gonna destroy you. Hi, Phoebe. Your sin will kill you. That's its whole goal, to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you. That's its whole goal, to take everything that you love, to ruin everything that you love, and to take your very life and ruin it as well. And you're in a grace period. The benefit that the Ninevites had was 40 days. In 40 days, it's over for you. The risk that we have is that we're not promised another breath. Not another breath is promised to us. So he gave them a 40 day grace period and they wisely opted out of their sin and into his mercy. 
So they fasted and they covered themselves in sackcloth. Sackcloth's like burlap. And what would happen in the Old Testament, because there was this interesting belief that the soul, spirit, and body were tied. I've heard people say that uh, the body is the scorecard of the soul. Like your body is keeping score of what's happening internally. And a lot of times your body is trying to tell you something's wrong inside of you that you need to work out. But what the Israelites, the ancient Israelites would do, what, the, what ancient peoples would do is when something was happening inside of them, they would try to reflect it externally in some significant way, which is why in the Psalms you see, anoint your oil with that, uh, anoint your head with the oil of gladness. And, and Jesus says, when you're fasting and praying, don't go around lamenting. Like the modern translation would say, like put some deodorant on, put a little bit of gel in your hair, or maybe just a fresh shave for those who are into that kind of thing. Put on some decent clothes and smile because something good is happening inside of you. Something bad is happening inside of them. They are recognizing their sin and their sin bothers them. And so they put on sackcloth, which is like burlap. It was like this material, it's like the potato sack. It's like the thing that you're like, if someone grated it against your skin, you'd be like, this is really miserable. And people who felt their sin, who felt their sin, they would put on sackcloth and sit in ashes. Sitting in the ashes reflected I feel like death and my sin is creating this agitation inside of me. And I'm like, man, that's really nothing like me because for the most part, I'm pretty unbothered by my sin. I want to put sackcloth on all of you, but I'm comfortable in silk, like sin and silk for me and sin and burlap for you. They put on outside what was happening inside. Their lives were a reflection of their contrition, of their repentance, of their faith, and of their hope. Because our lives almost always reflect our true beliefs. Your life is already reflecting what you really believe. It's already telling the story of what you really believe. So then in verse six through nine, um, the king joins the process. The gospel almost always works from the bottom up and not from the top down, which is why we can't look to any political party or leader to provide what the gospel alone can provide. And it's what gives regular people hope struggling people hope, poor people hope, marginalized people hope, and neglected people hope. And every other hope that is offered by the world around us is a false flag. It's a false hope that can't ever produce what it promises. The gospel alone can produce what it promises. The king joins the revival and he calls for more revival. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh by order of the king and his nobles. No person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. And I'm guessing all of Nineveh was like, Bro, we've been doing this already for like a couple of days now. 
thanks for catching on. The edict wasn't necessary because like the great country singer said, I'm already there. Like I'm there. We're already doing it. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth because there's nothing like the government's rules to just say like, there's really no purpose in it. We're just gonna make you do it anyway. So if you have animals, cover them in sackcloth. And the cows are like, bro, what did I do? I mean, like, how do you cover a chicken in sackcloth? The chicken's like, I mean, you're gonna eat me today. Can I just be free one more day? What did I do to you, man? And everyone must call out earnestly to God. Uh, can you imagine a citywide revival where former, formerly wicked leaders were calling for all citizens to earnestly call out to God, to turn from evil and to hope that God would be merciful to them? I can imagine it. I can imagine it. I think it's real and I think it's possible and I think God could do it again. And the reason I think God could do it again is because he's already shown that he can do it. He's already done it once. He can do it again. He can absolutely do it again. (sighs) Do you ever earnestly call out to God for anything? How far does God have to push you? How much does he have to take from you? to make you earnestly call out to him with seriousness, with conviction, call out to him. I talked last week, I think about George Mueller. He's one of my favorite guys. He started orphanages for the glory of God. Never, never once advertising a financial need and caring for more than 3000 orphans a day at the peak. And he was once uh, headed Um, from England back to his home, Germany, where he was born to preach. He's 25 years into ministry and he recorded what happened in his journals that they uh, they got to Germany and a fog had set in and the captain of the boat came to him and said, we can't dock the boat because there's a fog, you know, we'll, we'll all die. And so George Mueller said, well, will you come down and pray with me? And the captain said, okay. And, you know, uh, back then, uh, this is what a lot of people call the good old days when even people who weren't Christians had the decency to pretend like they were, which I think is what nostalgia is all about. You know, it's like what the good old days are all about is when people just at least pretended to be what we hope they will be. Uh, And so George Mueller is like, he just prays and, 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 uh, well, sorry, the captain prays first. And the captain's like, you know, praying sort of like you and I pray, like equivocating a lot, like, Lord, if you could, and it'd be great if, and if, if you might, and if you'd be so kind as to, and be, I don't, you know, if, if, and if, and maybe, and, and George Mueller interrupted his prayer. Have you ever had your prayer interrupted? Somebody's like, hey, cut it out. This is what George Mueller, he's like, stop, you just, just cut it out. And this is kind of a shocking experience. Try it sometime, just for fun. Like when somebody's praying over the food at lunch day, just be like, hey, stop, just stop. Don't do that. And George Miller's like, he, he prays and he says, uh, he, he had already prayed actually. And he, his prayer was simple. He's like, God, I've never missed a preaching appointment in 25 years. I don't intend to miss this preaching appointment, but I need you to lift the fog. In Jesus' name, amen. Then the captain prays. And George Mueller cuts him off. 
And the captain's like, why did you stop me from praying? And George Mueller said, well, first of all, you don't actually believe what you're asking for. So there's no point in asking for it. And secondly, I think God's already answered my prayer. And so they went up on the deck and the fog is gone. And you're like, well, that's, that, is that really real? George Mueller in his journals, he was a disciplined person. Hi, you want a hug? He was a disciplined person. And uh, he recorded more than 25,000 individual prayer requests, including this one, and the specific answer to that prayer request, like a ledger, like the original Excel spreadsheet. I'm praying for this, here's how God answered it. I'm praying for this, here's how God answered it. I'm praying for 25,000 different answers to prayer. Earnest prayer. The king says, who knows, God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. So that we will not perish. This is the great catalyst for either faith or despair. We're gonna die. You're gonna die. I follow an account on Twitter called Daily Death Reminder. It tweets one thing every day. The one thing that it tweets is, you might die today. And you're like, well, that's really morbid. No, it's just really true. There's a great book by John Ortberg. It's called, uh, When the Game of Life is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. And basically all he says over and over throughout the book, there's quotes at the, at the start of every chapter, people talking about uh, death. And, and basically he says, at the end of it all, you're gonna go into a box. Like when it's over, you get put into a box. Jerry Seinfeld talks about this. He says, when you're moving, all you see is boxes. You go in and out of stores asking if they have boxes. You wander around looking at boxes. When you see a really nice box, you're like, that's an incredible box. He said, when you go to a funeral, everybody's mourning and crying and you're looking at that guy and you're like, that's a great box. It even has handles. I wonder if I could have that when he's done with it later today. And he goes, and really that's all a funeral is, is the last time you're gonna move. And you have the pallbearers are the only friends you can call who will help you move your box. You know what I'm saying? Life, as Nathan's tattoo says, and as the book of Ecclesiastes says, it, it's hevel. It's a vapor. It's not something you can hold on to. You can't hold on to it. And sometimes life gives you an immovable object, an unavoidable reminder that time is slipping past you. And the grains of sand and the hourglass are tumbling away steadily and relentlessly. And you look at your life and you go, where did the time go? And the answer is the same, away. It always goes away. That's where the time goes. The reality of the brevity of life, the reality of eternity, when pressed upon us, moves us either to despondence or faith. It elicits from us either despair or hope. It creates in us either bitterness or gratitude. I wrote down a few quotes from some famous people. This guy, Caesar Borgia, who is an Italian nobleman, politician and cardinal, he said on his deathbed, his last words, while I lived, I provided for everything but death. Now I must die and I am unprepared to die. Voltaire, who was a famous anti-Christian atheist, his final words, he said, I have swallowed nothing but smoke. Wow. That's 
I have swallowed nothing but smoke. I have intoxicated myself with the incense that turned my head. I, aban I am abandoned by God and man. And he said to his physician, Dr. Fochin, I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months of life. When he was told that that was not possible, he said, then I shall die and go to hell. His nurse said, for all the money in Europe, I wouldn't wanna see another unbeliever die. All night long, he cried for forgiveness. David Hume, the atheist and philosopher famous for his philosophy of empiricism and skepticism of religion, he cried aloud on his deathbed, I am in flames. It's said that his desperation was one of the most horrible scenes those present had ever witnessed. Napoleon Bonaparte, who as a French emperor like Adolf Hitler brought death to millions to satisfy his greedy, power-mad, selfish ambitions for world conquest, said, I die before my time and my body will be given back to the earth. Such is the fate of him who has been called the great Napoleon. What an abyss between my deep misery and the eternal kingdom of Christ. Sir Francis Newport, the head of the English Atheist Club to those gathered around his deathbed said, you need not tell me there is no God for I know there is one and that I am in his presence. You need not tell me there is no hell. I feel myself already slipping. Wretches, cease your idle talk about there being hope for me. I know I am lost forever. Oh, that fire. Oh, the insufferable pangs of hell. Oh, that I could lie for a thousand years upon that fire that is never quenched to purchase the favor of God and be united to him again. But it is a fruitless wish. Millions and millions of years will bring me no nearer to the end of my torment than one poor hour. Oh, eternity, eternity, forever and forever. Oh, the insufferable pangs of hell. And Anton Levy, the author of the Satanic Bible and high priest of the religion dedicated to the worship of Satan. One of his most famous quotes was, there is a beast in man that needs to be exercised, not or exorcised. And his dying words were, oh my, oh my, what have I done? There is something very wrong. There is something very wrong. Gandhi at the, at the end of his life on his deathbed said for the first time in 50 years, I find myself in the slew of despond. All about me is darkness and I am praying for light. Compared with the words of the saints who said, oh death, where is your sting? The apostle Paul. King David who said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Augustus Montague, top lady who lived in the 1700s and was the author of the great hymn, Rock of Ages, during his final illness, was greatly supported by the consolations of the gospel and said, the consolations, which just mean the comforts of God to so unworthy a wretch are so abundant that he leaves me nothing to pray for but their continuance. Near his last, awaking from a sleep, he said, oh, what delights. Who can fathom the joy of the third heaven? The sky is clear, there is no cloud. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. He died saying, no mortal man can live after the glories which God has manifested to my soul. And lastly, Jesus Christ who himself said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet he will live. The king of Nineveh said, we're going to die. But maybe if we repent, God will show mercy to us. 
Sometimes the greatest gift that you can be given is a reminder that life doesn't last forever because it tells you to do what's important. John Ortberg said, if you wait for your days to get easier before you get around to what matters, you're gonna be waiting a long, long time. And then what happens? God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster that he had threatened them with and he did not do it. There are waiting for us either unspeakable torments or unspeakable pleasures. The only difference, the only dividing line, the only source of rescue is faith in Jesus. It isn't complicated. That doesn't mean that it's easy. But I guess you could interview that king of Nineveh and the one who died just before him and ask them, is it worth it? Let's pray together. God, yet an unknown number of days and my life on this earth will be over. Would you give me a heart of wisdom? Would you give us today a heart of wisdom? Speak to your people. As we respond together, the Lord's Supper is available for those of you who are believers. I'll be available in the back to pray with you. You can give, sing, pray, make a phone call, give somebody a hug, offer somebody some forgiveness. Just listen and get up and go do it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Red Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions about this message, our church, or the gospel, or if you'd like to get in touch with one of our elders, you can visit our website at www.redhill.church. Navigate to the I'm New tab and click the option for Connection Card. Filling out this online card will allow you to get in touch with us and one of our elders will follow up as soon as possible. Thanks for listening and be sure to check back next week as we continue to study and apply God's Word together.